Okay, well, today we cross over to the uh, fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians. And I want to tell you, we have a real treat in store for us. 2 Corinthians 4 is one of the national parks of the New Testament, in my opinion. And uh, so we are going to have the privilege of of, uh, walking through it this fall, considering some of the precious and wonderful things that it tells us. And we begin today in the first few verses. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, but actually I'm, we're only going to preach, I'm only going to preach on 1, 2, and 5 today, because those uh, 3 and 4 are sort of like a parenthetical comment that Paul makes. We're going to talk about that next week, but today 1, 2, and 5, which are on the subject of ministry. So let's read God's word together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Okay, in verse 1, there are a couple of facts that I want to point out. Number one, Paul says, having this mercy by the having this ministry. By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So number one is God's servants do not lose heart. At least Paul and his fellow workers did not lose heart. And of course, this do not lose heart contains an exhortation for us to not lose heart ourselves. But primarily, it is a statement of fact. We do not lose heart. The second fact is that ministry is a privilege. Having this ministry by the mercy of God. And this means that proclaiming Christ as Lord and making ourselves the servants of God's people is a privilege. But how can this be? Why do God's servants not lose heart? Why is ministry a privilege? Why is it a blessing to serve God's people? This is important because we tend to think of ministry as a duty. We tend to think of not growing weary of well-doing as a command, as a duty, and they are. In fact, in, uh, you know, in 1 
Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we're all called to ministry. For Galatians 6.9, Let us not grow weary of, well, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So we are called to not grow weary, but to keep pressing on. So these things are commands that we are supposed to perform. But here in 2 Corinthians 4.1, Paul calls his ministry a mercy. A duty, yes, but a mercy. How is it a mercy? How can being called to serve others be a mercy for which we do not lose heart. Well, it all comes down to who you are serving. The reason ministry is a mercy has to do with who the target of ministry is. Just as there are those who are perishing and blinded to the glory of God in the face of Christ, as we've been reading, and we'll, and we'll talk about next week too, so also there are those who are being saved and have had their eyes open to the glory of God in Christ, and those people are very precious to God. And that's why it is a privilege to minister to God's people, because they are the ones that Christ loved so much that he came and died on a cross for their sins. You know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, when, and when he was agonizing at Gethsemane, what kept him going? Hebrews 12.2 tells us what it was. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what was that joy? The joy was his zeal for the salvation of his people. The joy of knowing that what he was doing was going to bring life to his people. It was his love for them that drove him to endure it all. And that same love that he has for his people is what makes it a privilege for us to serve and minister to God's people. Because they are the children of the king. They are the apple of God's eye. They are the ones whose names are written on his hand. They are his treasured possession. They are his bride. Think about that statement. Can you think of a statement that could put it more powerfully, more poignantly, more affectionately and describe the love that he has for his people than the fact that he calls them his bride? Packed into that one word is a world of affection. This love of Christ for his people is reflected in many ways in the Bible. 
It is, for instance, in the passage where he tells us that it is better for, a, for us to have a millstone tied around our necks and be thrown into the sea than to cause one of his little ones to stumble. That tells you something about the way that he thinks about his little ones. Or how about the place where in Matthew 25 he talks about how if you serve his people even in little ways then you're actually doing it to him. If you feed them when they're hungry you're actually feeding him. That's how much he identifies with his people. That's how much he takes their needs and their ministry to them personally. And this is why it is a privilege and a blessing to be involved in ministry to God's people. We get to be the bearers of good news to those God has chosen to be the recipients of his grace. We get to communicate Jesus to people who will one day inhabit the glorious home that Christ is preparing for us in eternity. We have the blessing of being used to build and encourage and help the very children of the living God. This is why we do not lose heart. Because he so loves them. Christ, Christians talk about this language quite often. At least in my experience, maybe not in yours. But mainly they think of this language with regard to God's love for them. And that's a very precious thing to all of us. But we need also to think about this language with regard to why we love one another. And why we're happy to serve one another. We think too much of loving one another as a duty. It is a duty, but we need to realize that it is a great privilege to love one another. Because of Christ's love. Now, this doesn't mean that all is well. There are other facts reflected in the passage and reflected in the world around us. For instance, the children of God don't always look special, do they? They look ordinary or even lowly. Often. God has not chosen, you see, the smart people or the popular people or the powerful people to be his children, at least not many of them. By and large, he's chosen the little people, the nobodies. And so, when we look at them with the eyes of the flesh, it doesn't seem like it's a privilege to serve them. Second of all, there's a dark side to the privilege of being involved in ministry. It's possible to love ministry for all the wrong reasons, isn't it? Some love it because they get to stand up and tell everybody what they think. 
Some love it because it gives them a chance to control other people. Some love it because it makes people think highly of you. They think you're holy and close to the Lord. Jesus talked about this to the Pharisees, didn't he? Another fact that needs to balance out what we've heard is that there are forces in ministry which tempt us to lose heart. So yes, it's a privilege to minister to God's people and not lose heart, but there are things involved in ministry that cause us to be tempted to lose heart. Ministry is a dirty business. And nowhere is that more clear than in 2 Corinthians. This letter that Paul writes, which is so filled with his struggles with the Corinthian church. He gave himself to them for a year and a half right there on site. And yet they caused him more trouble than any other church. They went after false apostles who showed up after he left. And they bought into this poison that they fed them about Paul. The whole letter is written about the problems in his relationship with them. And then, at the end, just in case we haven't had enough, there's a long list in 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29 of many frightful sufferings that Paul experienced because he was involved in ministry. Ministry involves pain and hardship. This is one reason why many pastors burn out. And we don't like pain. So it's easy to avoid ministry in order to avoid pain. But think about having children. Having children involves pain and inconvenience and enormous sacrifice. But not many parents say that they wish that they had never had children. It's worth the pain and the hassle. Parenting is hard, but it's still a gift of mercy. Some people avoid it because of the hardship. But people who have children know that those people are missing out on one of the most wonderful things in life. And this is true also of ministry. A Christian is called to ministry according to the spiritual gifts that God gives and the opportunity God gives them. And in spite of the hardship and pain which inevitably comes along with it, it is one of the great honors that Christ bestows upon us to serve Christ's little ones. And just in case you're confused here by what I mean by ministry, I'm talking about ministry as what all of us are called to do to each other. Obviously, there's a, a more official calling of ministry, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that all of us are called to minister to one another. The next dark fact is that it's easy to preach ourselves instead of preaching Christ. It's easy for us to do ministry for ourselves and not for Christ. It's easy to 
preach the gospel of me. The gospel of my country, for instance. The gospel of my family. The gospel of my political views. The gospel of my favorite sport or my diet program or my school or my church or my hobby or my sports team or my expertise or many of the things that are just ultimately about me. I have had many what seemed at the time nice conversations with people and afterwards realized that I had advertised to them only me and not Christ. Are we selling ourselves or are we selling Christ? Are we selling our beauty or our body or our intelligence or are we pointing people to Jesus? This is honestly why I've never been in favor of having GPC bumper stickers made that we can all put in our cars. I don't want to judge other churches that do this, but I don't want us to be all about proclaiming our church. I want us to be about proclaiming Jesus as Lord. One more dark fact before we get to the conclusion, and that's that ministry has its earthly benefits. And therefore, it can be used for dishonorable purposes. It can be used not to feed Christ's little lambs, like Jesus called Peter to do, but it can be used for one's own advantage. The Bible's filled with this kind of thing. Ezekiel 34, God calls the prophet Ezekiel to confront the shepherds of Israel. He says, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. See, these people were shepherds of Israel, but instead of using their position to serve and bless they used it for themselves. And this is what Paul is renouncing in verse 2. When he says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. You see, it's possible to use God's word to manipulate people for one's own ambition. To act loving only to manipulate. There are many today who use the Bible and the gullibility of Christian people to manipulate and abuse. Their ministries often enjoy worldly success, but it is not by the Spirit or according to the truth. They claim to be sincere, of course. Who stands up and says they're not sincere? Who stands up and says, 
We're all about disgraceful, underhanded ways here. So it's a counterfeit. They make, you know what a counterfeit counterfeiter does? He makes it look as close to the real thing as possible. Satan has many ways to attack the truth. One is to deny it and just blast it. Another is to counterfeit it. And yet another is to pollute it by adding foreign elements to it that poison it. And that is really what this word means here that Paul talks about adulterating the word of God. Tampering with the word of God. In every generation, Satan adulterates and tampers with the word of God. And therefore, we must be watchful and alert, lest Satan lead us or others astray by polluting the word of God with some false teaching. In verse 2, Paul says, We refuse to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to men's consciences. You see, the biblical way to handle God's word and ministry is to openly state and demonstrate the truth from God's word. It's not enough to just say, God says this, trust me. No, you need to show them. And you can't trust what a teacher tells you about what the Bible says. They need to show you. But Satan is very shrewd. He can even use this desire to be discerning for evil. That's exactly what the false apostles were doing with Paul. They were accusing Paul of conducting his whole ministry for his own selfish, manipulative reasons. And of course, Paul is defending himself in 2 Corinthians, saying, I'm not guilty of this. We do not live this way, Paul says. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. And later he says in chapter 11 that it's his detractors who are the ones who are engaged in deceitfulness. Bringing this to a conclusion, we have two things, two main things that we've seen this morning. First of all, we have the fact that the Holy Spirit is involved in working in the, his, the servants of Christ, opening their eyes to the glory of Christ, opening their eyes to the unfathomable love that he has for his people. There really are sincere people called by God and used to communicate the truth about his word. That's the first truth. The second truth is that we have sin, human sin, and Satan himself at work in those who minister in the name of Christ, twisting ministry into personal ambition and self-service. We have this reality where there are some who are manipulative phonies and others who are sound and sincere even when they're falsely accused. 
It's so important that we know and remember both of these realities. Many times people know and think about only one of these and they fall into a trap. There are two traps, as we've talked many times. The road, the path that God has set before us, you can go straight to the right or to the left. There's two traps. On the one hand, in this situation, there's the trap of being naive and gullible, easily deceived by a clever con man with Bible knowledge and a warm smile. It's easy to be led astray. And on the other hand, there's the trap of being jaded and cynical, assuming every leader is a self-serving manipulator. It's easy to be cynical about the church today. And many people are. It's not only pastors that are burned out today. It's Christians. Burned out with the church. And through it all, Satan is having a heyday. Cynicism does one more destructive thing. It keeps people from ministry. Think about all the people who are sidelined from ministry because of the hurt and the cynicism that it has produced towards the church in their hearts. You know, it's easy to be critical of others from the sidelines. I love going to my son's games and watching sports on TV. It's really easy to sit there and say, oh, don't do that, you should have done this. It's really easy, isn't it? Do you think it pleases God for Christians to be cynical on the sidelines? We need to get out there on the field and begin to minister God's, God's truth to his precious people and those who might become his precious people. Sincerely and humbly. We all agree that we have a loving and sincere Lord. Let's represent him well by being loving and sincere servants of his beloved people. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Christ's sake. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have loved us in Christ to, to an e eternal and infinite extent. 
And we thank you that you have blessed us with the privilege of being a part of the community of those who call upon you as Lord. And now, Lord, we thank you that you call us together. We thank you for the privilege of gathering around your word, gathering in worship. And now, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of gathering before you as you serve us the body and blood of Jesus. Please, O Lord, feed us. You have, you, Jesus said that you came to serve and to make yourself a ransom for many. We thank you, dear Lord, that even though you're way above us, that you came and you made yourself our servant. And now, Lord, we receive what you have made for us and pray that you would help us to be filled with the Spirit of Christ that we might serve one another as you have served us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.